I'm Andy. What's your name? Hi, I'm Chucky, and I'm your friend to the end. Heidi ho <laughs> <laughs> Wow, he's something, isn't he? Adu Dambala, give me the power I beg of you! <laughs> No. Welcome to the When We Were Young podcast, the podcast that metaphorically found its way into the body of a child's plaything and is on a rampage to destroy everything you hold dear. I'm Becky, the podcast host, most likely to be your friend till the end. Heidi Ho! Ha <laughs> <laughs> I'm Seth, the host most likely to think Aunt Maggie was a real bitch, got what she deserved. And I'm Chris, your podcast host most likely to have a date with a six-year-old boy, and you have a date with death. <laughs> Neither of those is good. <laughs> Neither. Depends on your point of view. <laughs> Today we are covering the Child's Play franchise, which is being rebooted this month with a brand new take on the killer doll, Chucky. Because we're not martyrs, and because we just don't have time to watch all seven movies in the franchise, we'll be focusing on the original Child's Play released in 1988, the sequel Child's Play 2 from 1990, and the tonal reboot, I didn't know what else to call it. What? <laughs> uh <laughs> Bride of Chucky from 1998. Okay. <laughs> so before we get started, I'd like to know, what was your all-time favorite childhood toy? Oh, this was not expected at all. <laughs> Becky with the left field. So I've got to say, I never played with kind of humanoid dolls. I know that like when I was growing up, when we were growing up, when we were young even, there were some dolls that were kind of marketed toward boys that boys could play with. But most of the like... Most of the toys that had arms and legs and were expressive and kind of um, humanized in one way or another were kind of robots or aliens or animals. My favorite and my preferred one of those was Teddy Ruxpin. I don't know when I got rid of it, but I had it all my preschool years, probably through like kindergarten or first grade or so. And then I just kind of got bored of that and moved on to action figures. But I really liked Teddy Ruxman. I thought the tape recorder aspect of it was super cool and interesting. Also, I wore Teddy Ruxman's corduroy pants or corduroy shorts. He had like, I think they were red corduroy shorts and they fit me for a very long time. I thought you wore matching ones. You actually wore no, no, no. clothing. Oh, you wore the doll's shorts. No, I, I stole the shorts from the doll. It's Yeah. <laughs> Again, I was one day I was like, you know what? I'm taken by these corduroy shorts. They're mine now. How I'm, tiny were you? I was a little I was a little guy. Wow. I was a little guy. <laughs> I feel like you were in like a bizarre gay relationship where you were sharing clothing with a bear. Look, look in retrospect <laughs> Which is kinda cute. In retrospect, the idea that I was into bears should be very obvious. <laughs> but it was not at all apparent to me at the time. Again, I aged out of it really quickly, but I was just taken by this animatronic bear and his shorts. <laughs> I feel like his shorts were taken by you. <laughs> oh, that It was wouldn't be the only time. <laughs> Chris? I don't have a good story about sharing clothing with an animal. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I did really like my action figures. I would say my favorite toy was my imagination. <laughs> Wasn't the wasn't the question. Get yeah. out. <laughs> but in terms of like actual toys, the first things that came to mind were stuffed animals. And I had a bunny named Joe. It was just like a big <laughs> soft bunny that I think I got when I was born or shortly after, like as a baby. That guy was like my little buddy for a long time. And I believe I still have him like at my parents' house. 
I also distinctly remember making a stuffed animal. I don't remember the context, but it was a carrot, like a stuffed animal carrot Mm -hmm. that I named Mr. Silly Roots (laughs) (laughs) and drew a face on him. And I have uh, some fond memories of of me and that carrot. So next time your hair grows out, I'm going to call you Mr. Silly Roots. (laughs) (laughs) No, I used to like... Having all of my stuffed animals on my bed and just being in sort of like a giant pile of them, I felt like very... Safe? Like, I just felt like I had all my friends with me because they were all stuffed. He was a young furry, is what he's trying no, to this, say. This that's what his soul story. is trying to You're say. You're just trying to make me into your story. <laughs> my story's a different story. No, that's story. totally normal. I was a cordy, not a furry. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> uh, what about you, Becky? <laughs> Let's move on. Um... Well, I definitely had Barbies and, like, Legos and stuff like that. But, like, my heart belonged to my stuffed animals. Like, I still have the most fondest memories of my stuffed animals. And I remember I had a giraffe I named Giraffe. I had a banana <laughs> named Banana. Not Mr. Silly Peel. <laughs> no. Or Ms. Silly banana. Peel. Banana. I had a, at the time, life-size doll named Dolly. So you were a super creative young child. And then I had uh, my favorite doll. It was a kangaroo I named Bunny. Because <laughs> I didn't know what a kangaroo was. <laughs> was little. Oh. And it kind of looked like a bunny. But it has a pouch and the tail and everything. So it's clearly a kangaroo. But his name is Bunny. And see, it's interesting because I had stuffed animals. And I loved them so much. But that was not the first thing I thought of when you asked that question. Oh. And I had the stuffed animals longer than I ever had Teddy Ruxpin. But it's like when you ask, like, in terms of intensity of feeling, that was the thing that I, like, wanted the most. Well, that's interesting because I know I had a Teddy Ruxpin, too, but I never connected with it. Like, I don't remember really playing with it. It wasn't really cuddly because it was, like, had, like, electronics in it. It was, like, hard like because yeah. it had to have a tape It was very it. rigid. <laughs> it yeah. had sharp edges in yes. it. <laughs> it was a teddy bear <laughs> with sharp edges in it. Yeah, like, you couldn't, I, you couldn't <laughs> cuddle it at night. And, like... You know, I had all my stuffed animals on my bed. I had to sleep with all of them. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's more that I'm not even, like, thinking about. Um, But I loved Bunny, and I think that was the one I would, like, hold myself. My sister would always threaten to, like, take Dolly or Bunny away, and I would cry. Um, And then (laughs) How mean. That's not a nice game. weird how you, like, when you said that you got rid of Teddy Ruxpin, I was just like, I would never get rid of these dolls. In fact... I'm sure if they are no longer in my life, it's because my mom must have, like, thrown them out, like, when I was away at college or something, like, thrown out the box or something. But she kept Bunny, and so Bunny was living at my mom's for a while, but I always remembered Bunny, and then when I was pregnant, my mom was giving me, like, toys, and I was like, I want Bunny now. <laughs> so now Bunny is at home wow. in my in my daughter's toy box. I was going to bring it to show you Bunny, but she was asleep, but I don't want to go in there. But also, I don't think I've ever washed Bunny. <laughs> <laughs> Lordy. So I should probably wash Bunny. See, that was the other thing I was going to bring up is that, like, I don't know about you guys, but there was a turning point in my young life where I got head lice. Oh, no. Oh, I, I was afraid that this story was going in a completely different direction. No, no, no. Not that turning point. That's for okay. a different podcast. Oh, no, I, we were talking about dirty stuffed animals. There was, there was a genocide of the stuffed animals in my family. Oh, my God. I would die. I, I feel like I must have. Was Maybe. there a burning of the stuff? No, animals? I don't think it was a. Bur- I I don't think there was a pyre. I don't think that I was allowed to shoot a flaming arrow into it. Um, this breaks my heart. <laughs> it, no, I do. Rem- I distinctly remember like trash bags full of my stuffed animals, like going away forever. 
Yeah. Mm, that is, that's rough. That's sad. What about the shorts? Were the shorts in there? Or did you keep the shorts? I don't know. I feel like it would have stolen the shorts away. Be like, Teddy Ruxpin, bye, sir. But hold on, I'm taking these with me. What do you think it is about, like, just we put so much, like, personality in these inanimate objects that, like, they really, like, mean so much to me when I look back at what was important to me when I was little. And it was, my stuffed animals were definitely up there. Yeah, there is a big attachment that we build into these things. Like, they are our companions. And it's important for some reason for kids to have those reliable companions. I guess it's a bit of security, you know? Like, you're growing up and, like, there's a lot of, like, new things and scary things and, like, things that you're not allowed to like touch or play with and so like this is like your thing that can be consistent for you and like you always have it there so i I don't know maybe there's just something that's like comforting about the consistency of having this like friend who's inanimate so can't react back to you can't like be like i don't feel like playing with you right Mm -hmm. now but i also feel like there are kind of holy objects because they become these like points of transference and points of reference for when we're developing our most human traits of like being social animals and being creatures that do storytelling you know it's whether that's action figures or like stuffed animals your kind of sense of self comes out of telling stories and learning how to talk to people and learning what conversations are you know and i think part of why those toys become so special is that they are your kind of reference points for storytelling in the first times that you're learning it. Yeah, and I guess they kind of, like, your first relationship is with your parents, and they're taking care of you, and then eventually, like, your parents will, (laughs) this sounds harsher than it's meant to be, but, like, put you aside for a little while. Like, you're supposed to go play over there, and it's, like, a replacement for, like, still a comforting figure, but someone who's not there to, like, look over you and, you know, tend to your every need. It's, like, you're actually kind of performing that role for someone else. So, in 1983, (laughs) the Cabbage Patch dolls were the biggest craze in children's toys. Yeah, they were. In 1985, Hasbro released My Buddy, their attempt to jump on the doll bandwagon, but this time targeting little boys who were generally marketed action figures instead of dolls. So, when I was reading an article about this, they were like, oh, they, like, went the other way, saying that boys can play with dolls. And I'm like, no, they were marketing to an untapped market for dolls. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Let's look at a My Buddy commercial, because I totally remember... I know remember the whole the song. Whole, yeah. I know every word. My buddy, my buddy, my buddy, wherever I go, he goes. My buddy, my buddy, my buddy, I'll teach him everything that I know. My buddy and me, like the climb up a tree. My buddy and me, when the best friends could be. My buddy, my buddy, my buddy, my buddy. That's one of those things that comes up on this podcast sometimes where it's like, as soon as I see it, I'm like, okay, yes, I remember that entire commercial, like, verbatim, (laughs) but only because you just mentioned it, and I never would have thought about that Uh ever again. Like, even in watching all these child's play movies, that thought never occurred to me. Don Mancini, who was a UCLA screenwriting student at the time, was inspired by this craze of dolls and wrote a spec script about a little boy and his killer doll. He called it Batteries Not Included. Hmm. In his original script, Andy was a lonely kid with no dad, and his mother was working all the time. He didn't have friends. So he ends up cutting his thumb and his doll's thumb so that they become blood brothers. Because in this script, instead of a doll who pees, it was a doll who bleeds. <laughs> Which is actually a joke wow. from the second yeah, movie. But I was yeah, about to say. And yeah. it was literally in the first draft of... 
Interesting. Uh, the screenplay. That was... So after they exchange blood, the murders start. Mancini says, Chucky was like an expression of the kid's unconscious rage. So the doll only came alive when Andy was asleep. And Chucky was the embodiment of Andy's unconscious. So Chucky decides if he kills Andy, he can stay alive forever. So that was the basics, basic plot of Mancini's first go at the script. So have you guys ever seen any of the child's play? I was about to say the children's play. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen the children's plays? <laughs> have you ever seen any of the child's play movies or Chucky movies? No. No. Okay, I'll just move on to my story then. <laughs> I have a thing, but... Oh, okay, what? <laughs> But you can go on to your story first if you'd like to. So this is episode 67 of our podcast. For those of us keeping count. Yes. In all that time, this is only the second topic I have zero familiarity with that I, like, have not seen a moment. What was the first one? Alanis? Gremlins. Oh, Gremlins. Okay. Because at least Alanis, like, I'd heard the songs on the radio. Post-Gremlins world. This doesn't bode well. This was my post-Gremlins pre-child's play. (laughs) A very brief window in time. So, like, when I was growing up, I was pretty game to watch anything. Uh, (laughs) There were basically two categories of entertainment. uh, Things I wanted to watch and things I really wanted to watch a lot. (laughs) I was not that selective, and yet I kind of had zero interest in these movies. Very much like Gremlins. Like, those were just movies that I kind of saw, and I was like, not for me, thank you. And so it's just weird, having done both of these on the podcast, that those are the only two things that I ever avoided, not to get ahead of myself. (laughs) (laughs) You know, in years later, like, I'd heard people have some fondness for Gremlins. A lot of people do. Not so much for Child's Play. Like, I, I don't think I've ever really met anyone who had professed, like, an emotion of Child's Play until like recently until you met me (laughs) yeah but even like I didn't know that about you for I don't think okay like years and years I don't think until we started this podcast like that I can recall you ever mentioning these movies and so as much as I liked movies like Scream and like the wave of teen horror that came in 1996 I never had that much of an interest in like the original horror movies or slasher movies because I think like by the time I was old enough to be aware of them it was all the sequels coming out so I don't remember Child's Play the first movie like seeing like the video or the poster or anything but i do remember like the sequels in the video store and they just never made it look appealing at all like they looked like even though they weren't but they look like direct to video you know it it looks like garbage trying to be garbage (laughs) and so i think like throughout this entire time like the fact that there was a first child's play movie just like never occurred to me Uh, what do you mean? You like like they just started it too? <laughs> yes, like that's kind of yeah. Or like imagine if we had grown up later and Land Before Time had only ever been a series of at least eight or more films. Oh, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I get what you mean. Yeah, I eventually like went on to watch like the original Halloween and Nightmare on Elm Street because they had good reputations. But I feel like the first Child's Play never had that kind of reputation that at least reached me as like, oh, at least the first one was good. Like, it was always just this sort of inevitable franchise. And my only memory of these movies are just these posters with a big red two or three next <laughs> next to it. Yeah. No one ever recommended these movies to me. It never came up when I was studying film. <laughs> Even when I was specifically studying the horror genre, when I've been writing, like, a horror movie and I, like, watch old horror movies for inspiration, still did not occur to me to watch these movies. Like, my overall thoughts on Child's Play is just, it did not occur to me. <laughs> it's kind of like driving by a pile of garbage 
on the side of the road. And it's possible that if you looked inside that pile of garbage, you could find something that you would like and you would take it home. But it does not occur to me to stop and look. I just drive past it. And that is kind of how I feel about these movies. That was like a Robert Frost poem. I know, that was a very apt metaphor for Stopping by garbage on a snowy evening. <laughs> but Chris, I relate so much to your story. Gremlins was not the same way for me. I did not intentionally avoid the Grimms. But Child's Play, I distinctly remember as like a horror film when I was growing up that was among the rare number that I was just like, no, I have no interest in watching this. I especially remember seeing those sequels on blockbuster store shelves and walking right past them to, you know, like see if my mom would let me rent Alien or, you know, like something like that, that could at least hold my interest. And, you know, whether it was like a silly horror movie or not, is one thing, but I, I don't know for whatever re- for whatever reason, like dolls never really scared me all that much, kind of in and of themselves, and especially this kind of like subgenre of like haunted doll movies um, never particularly appealed to me as a kid. Yeah, somehow from those posters, I think I picked up so much about the movies in that, like, they didn't seem like they would be scary. They seemed like they would be gross and that, like, probably I wouldn't like the violence at that age because I had never seen anything like that at the time, but that it would just be gross. But yeah, it just, like, they just seemed like they existed, but it didn't ever seem like they were made. Like, it just didn't occur to me that someone made the movie for someone to enjoy. It's like, they just were there and you had to deal with them. Well... (laughs) My story could not be farther from anyone's story, really. (laughs) This episode is dedicated to my mother. (laughs) She's listening. Hi, Mom. (laughs) My mom loves, like, schlocky horror and, like, action movies like Predator. Like, things like that were always on in our house. And so Child's Play was always on in my house when I was growing up. See, I love Predator. (laughs) Okay, well... Terminator, I love... Okay, so my mom's favorite actor for a very long time was Chris Sarandon, and he was in Fright Night, and he was in Dog Day Afternoon. Um, he's uh, uh, Humperdink or something from The Princess Bride. He's the police officer in this movie. Okay. My mom really, really liked him, so that might be why this movie in particular was on a lot. But it was to the point where, and this came out in 1988. I was born in 1983, so it was to the point where I would watch with my mom, and we would make jokes together. And we'd watch the movie together or just be on the kitchen TV while we were eating or something. And we would just laugh about the movie together. So I never thought this movie was scary. Like, I was never scared by it because we never sat down and watched it with all the lights off, you know, with a bowl of popcorn. Like, it was never meant to be scary. It was supposed to be funny. My mom making jokes with me. Mm. Um, I think I liked it because of that. Like... The funny thing is, like, re-watching it now, and I have not watched it in so long, I, like, knew every line of dialogue, like, the way that I know Lady and the Tramp and The Little Mermaid. Wow. <laughs> like, I knew, like, it, like, as soon as it came on screen, and it instantly came back to me. It was like, oh my god, like, I know this shot, and I know what he's about to say, and it was very, and the same thing with the sequel, with Child's Play 2. One of the stories I like telling people to give them a little insight into my childhood is that my when Child's Play 2 was in theaters, my mom wanted to take me. And she took me out of school early to see a matinee. And she literally said, I'm taking my daughter to go see Child's Play. And we left school early and we went and saw it in the theaters. And at what point did Child Protective Services show up and take you back? 
None. Still waiting. <laughs> That's white privilege in action right there. That is white privilege in action. Yeah. And I remember being in the theater watching it for, for, for the first time. And I remember still not being scared. And I remember going with my mom to see Child's Play 3. And I think maybe I started to get scared because I think I was a little older. And then you actually realize what things are. Oh, he's killing him. Like, that's blood because he's dying. You know, mm-hmm. like, I think the older I got, which is funny, like, the more I started to get a little scared. And I saw the later ones, like, I saw Bride of Chucky and Seed of Chucky um, with a friend from college who kind of, like, just appreciated the Child's Play movies, but I don't think he'd ever seen them. And I told him the story about me and my mom, and we're like, let's watch them together. So I've only seen those two movies once before, and I honestly, like, barely remembered anything except that they were bad. (laughs) Um, Little did I remember how how bad. (laughs) Um, But, like, I recently asked my mom... Why did you show me these movies when I was little? I recently asked my mom, why? <laughs> why? I, I wanted to know. I didn't want to judge her. I wanted to know. And she said, she said, I thought you could handle it. <laughs> and we were making jokes. And I was like, okay. Like, all right. I guess that's a reason. Do you think it had any effect on you? Like, I, or I don't know. Like, I think the general parenting style of letting me watch whatever I wanted affected me that I wasn't scared of movies or maybe I sought out movies that were like, you know, controversial. Like I wanted to see a clockwork orange when I was 13 because it's like, Oh, this is controversial. I want to see it. I saw a lot of movies like that. Like I saw kids when I was 12. (laughs) Like I was just like, is there controversy around it? Like I want to see it. So that Mm -hmm. probably like, I think that just helped me become, like, you know, into movies. Because when I was 13 years old, I was watching, like, everything. Like, everything R-rated. But that's I also saw a lot of good movies, like Silence of the Lambs and Amadeus. Like, I watched all those movies for the first time when I was 13. What was it like with other kids? Because for me, like, I was always behind the other kids. Like, I was, as we've talked about in several episodes, not allowed to see most things that were deemed scary or even things that a lot of kids were seeing like Jurassic Park and Batman Returns. Um, So I was like way behind other kids in terms of what people were seeing. So did you feel like you were ahead of other kids? Like were you, uh, were you able to talk about child's play with anyone else or was it? No, no, I don't think so. But I, I could talk to other kids about other movies because I watched everything. So I also watched like Disney stuff, you know, I remember when I was in, junior high and i had seen pulp fiction when i was i must have been like sixth grade actually because i saw pulp fiction the year after it came out (laughs) i was like 10 (laughs) and i remember we had like writing assignments and i put like mr blonde from reservoir dogs and (laughs) the wolf from pulp fiction into (laughs) stories together with like other people like maybe alex from a clock recording or like so this was pulp fan fiction yeah it was well it was well done yeah that's good that's good Um, But it was like writing, it was like spelling assignments, like just put these spelling words into a paragraph and I would write pages and pages and pages, like literally stories with with people from the movies, like maybe Hannibal Lecter, like really inappropriate like characters for a sixth grader to know. But I mean, I got a hundred on all of them. Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure it affected me, but, like, I don't feel, like, fucked up. I think it inspired me to seek out film as a career, honestly, because I was shown so much film. Or nobody stopped me (laughs) from watching so much film. (laughs) Well, but that that matters, I think. Where where limitations and barriers are put up, um, especially by the people in our lives who have authority, Mm -hmm. you know, and and however they 
exercise authority however your parents acted toward you. Like, they set barriers in one way or another, and those barriers really do affect the things that you get exposed to early on and the things that you become interested in. Yeah. And we were raised in a pretty interesting time for pop culture, I think, with the rise of video, which basically yes. parallels our childhood. Because the film industry before that had been always made for going to the theater. And suddenly, like, there was this market for things that you would watch at home and you would watch, like, repeatedly. And so even mm-hmm. though these movies weren't necessarily made direct to video, it feels very much inherent that they were made to watch at home and, like, have on in the background, kind of. Or, you know, like, to be more disposable, like... Child's Play, especially, like, the sequels, don't feel like they were made to be, like, a theatrical experience. You know, they were made to be trashy. I I think, but I think that that is part of specific theatrical experiences that is a trashy, you know, schlocky horror movie. Of which there are many before Child's Play. Like, that's a whole genre. Yeah, I mean, I think maybe, like, as the series goes on, you get a little bit more of a sense that they've been made for, like, this sort of home video cult rather than, like, to go see it in the theater. maybe. So let's move on to Child's Play. You have to transfer your soul out of the dark into that of the first human being you revealed your true self to. You mean the first person I let in on the fact that I was really alive? I don't believe it. I just don't believe it. The first person I let in on my little secret was a six-year-old kid. I'm going to be six years old again. Well, John, it's been fun, but I got to go. I have a date with a six-year-old boy. And you have a date with death. The original Child's Play was released November 9th, 1988. It's directed by Tom Holland, not the person who plays Spider-Man. <laughs> not that one. Not him. Like, how old was he? But I think it's funny because As I... As a zygote, he directed. I, I rented Child's Play on the Xbox One, and they listed Tom Holland, the Spider-Man, as the director, like they had his picture. <laughs> Perfect. It was written by Don Mancini, John Laffia, and Tom Holland, with story and characters created by Don Mancini. It stars Chris Sarandon, Catherine Hicks, and Alex Vincent as Andy, with Brad Dorif as the voice of Chucky. If you don't know who Brad Dorif is, he is on Deadwood, and he was also um, Oscar-nominated, I don't think he won, for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, which is kind of nuts to think Honestly, about. Honestly, Brad Dorif has been in such a menagerie of bizarre things like he was in x-files he was tremendous in x-files like he's been in so many random things and he is always that character who you like who is that actor it's chucky it's chucky it's chucky true confession literally up until today i believed that brad durif and steven dorf were the same person and that this was the voice of steven dorf you existed on the durif dorf continuum wait what is he in Steven Blade. Do- he's just, Blade. Oh, okay. Yeah. He's like a generic guy, but he's a little younger. So, so I was always confused. I was like, how is he in one flew over the cuckoo's nest? Like, he's oh. completely different. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Goodbye forever. Oh, my I God. I feel like such a dwarf. <laughs> the budget for Child's Play was $9 million. The box office was $44 million. Where did that $9 million go? They had the animatronic doll. As for reviews, it has a 67% of Rotten Tomatoes. Roger Ebert called it a cheerfully energetic horror film. Meanwhile, David Kerr of the Chicago Star said the movie would probably be sickening if it weren't so relentlessly stupid. Sickening. 
Director Tom Holland was actually the one who brought in the voodoo as a way to get Chucky's soul into Andy. The creator, Mancini, never liked that. <laughs> but he was kind of <laughs> stuck with it when he he's written every single Child's Play movie in the franchise. And he's just kind of stuck with voodoo. <laughs> wow. But he's never liked it. Just a little bit more trivia. One of the ways the filmmakers enabled Chucky to move on his own, they built all the sets six feet high off the ground so that people <laughs> could operate the doll from underneath. <laughs> They also used some stand-ins, um, including um, producer David Kirshner's two-year-old neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> His neighbor? I want to read that child's memoirs. <laughs> um, I want to know how many neighbors they went to first <laughs> to test them out and see who would work. I'm sorry, neighbor's son. <laughs> Are you happy now? Like... Do you have any children? <laughs> it wasn't just a two-year-old living by himself in an old house. Yes. <laughs> it wasn't a home alone no, situation. No, it was. That's, that's what inspired What's the script. <laughs> Um, so let's just get to it. I mean, do we really, I don't even have to ask. Do we have to dilly-dally anymore? Here, you guys talk and then I'll talk. (laughs) How'd you feel? How'd how'd, how'd this go? I felt real bad. (laughs) I felt real bad. Like, what were you expecting and then what happened? I was expecting nothing and less happened. (laughs) And we're just talking about the first one. Yes. Okay, okay. We are all right. talking about any and all of them. And again, it was very interesting to me that I ever ended up watching a child's play movie. <laughs> Much less many of them. <laughs> I am a person who has definitely come to appreciate very deeply uh, a shitty horror movie as a great comedy opportunity. I enjoy really bad horror movies, really bad thriller movies. But this was just so conceptually bad and then just terrible in its execution on kind of every level. And there are other, like, basic story element things that just really get to me about this whole series. Like, how fundamentally racist it is. And we can get to all of that. (laughs) But just on the technical level, it is done so ineptly, and its ideas are simultaneously kind of so high concept. Like, talking about like, voodoo and astral projection and, and body displacement. It's not a movie franchise that really gives us any characters. It's not a movie franchise that really tells any one story coherently and I really didn't enjoy watching the set pieces and the various things they came up with to blow up or bleed around this doll. (laughs) Chris? My expectations going into this movie were it did not occur to me. (laughs) Honestly, I had never thought, what is the first Child's Play movie like? Like, no, I, me neither. Me well, neither. I didn't I, throw this on you as a surprise. You knew you were going to watch it. <laughs> but I didn't. It didn't occur to me that Still. it was a movie, like <laughs> that it would be anything other than what I was expecting from like two and three. Like I never just thought that there was an origin to the story. <laughs> I, it always seemed like an inevitable franchise to me. So my expectations were kind of in the garbage when I started. Um, I really liked this movie, to be honest. <laughs> Are you kidding? No, I'm not <laughs> kidding. Yeah, like with the expectations I had, I wasn't necessarily like looking forward to watching this movie or anything. I put it on and there are things I don't like about it and don't think work. Kind of about the whole franchise in general, but a lot of them are kind of seeded into this movie. But in general, I felt like this was not what I was expecting from the Child's Play movies because I think this is very distinctly different for at least 50% or more of its running time. It's a real movie that's not just about kind of like schlocky special special effects and kills. 
Um, this movie takes its time building up suspense, and it's it's very hard to talk about what I like about this movie without disparaging some of the later films. <laughs> but there's a lot less Chucky in this movie than there are in mm-hmm. the other ones, especially like Chucky, as in like the ve- the voice of Brad Dourif, mm-hmm. like making wise cracks and saying fucking bitch a lot. Chucky doesn't speak in this movie until 45 minutes, which I think is over halfway through the running time. So I appreciated just like the relative restraint compared to the later sequels and what I was expecting and that it wasn't based around kills really or gore. Like there's a couple of scenes, but even like the first death scene is the babysitter and it just builds that that scene is really long and you're like in her point of view and it's not just so like, woo, like look at her, the blood and she's dead and, and like that bitch got what she deserved, like, kind of, it feels like in the later movies. So I just appreciated that this felt like a real movie that was trying to build some suspense and actually scare you versus just kind of be like, ah, like, dead people, blood, tits, like, whatever, like, like the reputation kind of is for schlocky horror. So this movie is as nostalgic to me as some Disney movies. Wow. So I was a little worried going in and I liked it. <laughs> like I didn't I for what it is, which is a schlocky horror movie, I thought it was good. Not great, but like there's a lot I feel like there's a lot to like here. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I disagree with a lot of what you said, Seth, of what I got out of it. Because I feel like this movie's entertaining. Like I never was never bored. I liked the restraint. I liked the reveal of Chucky. It is shocking, you know, when he finally does you see him come alive. I don't like Andy in this one. He's kind of annoying, but I but I care for him. I don't want him to die. I care for his mom. Um, like I, I care for Aunt I Maggie. Know. To me, this rounded up like this. This went in with other movies where the kid was a little shithead, and I wanted him to die. I don't think he's a shithead. He's just no. kind of like a whiny six-year-old. But like, there's Pain moments the like him making breakfast for his mom. I just, I just, I just appreciate it. It really did feel like they're trying to make uh, a real movie, and I didn't think it was scary. But I I just felt like there was a lot of nice moments in this movie. And obviously some parts are problematic, <laughs> um, <laughs> which we'll, I'm sure we'll get to. Um, but just in general, I thought it was really entertaining. Yeah, um, maybe we should set it up just because I feel like this is one of the movies that like two or three of us haven't seen and yeah. had no familiarity yeah. with. Okay, so um, Andy lives with his mom, single mom. Um, he's six years old, and what he really, really wants for his birthday is a good guy doll, which is basically the bu- the My Buddy doll version in this movie. But creepier. <laughs> creepy. Yeah. Um, Pretty inherently creepy. He, um, and you can kind of tell that, like, he's, a, he's lonely, and he maybe doesn't have a lot of friends, and, like, he really wants this buddy because he's alone a lot, his mom works a lot. It's, like, the hottest toy in town so it's been impossible for his mom to get the toy meanwhile the movie opens with a criminal like being chased by an officer chris randon and he goes into a toy store and hides out he ends up getting shot but he's still alive but he's like slowly dying and for some reason he knows voodoo (laughs) for some reason (laughs) for some reason and he transplants his soul into a doll that is nearby which is a good guy doll which you can do in voodoo yeah of course um and so voodoo voodoo 
<laughs> White people do voodoo, apparently. Somehow this doll, like, ends up being thrown out. A ruffian outside. <laughs> like, I don't know, a bum uh, is selling it, like, on the black market, I guess. And Andy's mom, like, really wants to, you know, make Andy feel special for his birthday. So she buys this from this bum who probably just found it in the trash. And this is the doll that has Charles Lee Ray's soul in it. He ends up telling Andy off screen where we don't see who he is. And apparently the laws of voodoo, <laughs> uh, <sighs> it means that he now has, if he ever wants to get out of Chucky's body, um, he has to tra- he has to ch- put his soul into the person who he told first. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. No. <laughs> None of it makes any sense. And really, it's racist. Because at its heart, this movie franchise is about white people culturally appropriating voodoo, which is a black cultural tradition from New Orleans based in ritual practices that were practiced by people who were enslaved. Give me the power, I beg! Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. I think, and the thing is that, like, as I said before, like, the creator of Chucky, like, he didn't like it either. So, and he was just the, he didn't, I don't think he executive produced the first one. Like, he was just the writer. They bought his script. Well, I mean, but even putting that aside, like, there's clearly no actual plot justification for how it happens. What do you mean? There was an element of suspension of disbelief that on its face was kind of... I felt like it was under-explained, even if, like, the I'm sure the modern reboot will over-explain it yeah. and add way too much plot context. Or I hope they get rid of the voodoo part. Oh, yeah, I, Maybe I they don't will. think the voodoo Maybe they will, will even be in it. Who knows? And I, and I don't like the voodoo. The voodoo doesn't hold it's up. It's so stupid. <laughs> the voodoo's it's so dumb. dumb. I'm just saying, like, the creator didn't even like the voodoo. The director, like, threw it in. I don't like the voodoo. I don't think it works. They should have just literally had, like, a lightning bolt in the sky and then, you know, like, right. Freaky Friday or something, you know? Right. Like, and then he suddenly I I like the idea, though, that there's a reason why he keeps terrorizing this little boy versus going somewhere else. Like, there's a reason that keeps him terrorizing Andy, who is the final girl of this series. True. It is. So I don't like the voodoo, but I wish they came up with something else of why he has to keep chasing Andy down. Well, it's like a kind of a great example of when a note, like, completely derails what a movie is trying to do because the setup of this movie is that Charles Lee Ray is a serial killer. He's like a something strangler. Yeah, I forget, yeah. Yeah, so he's a serial killer. So he already likes killing people. So it doesn't make sense at all that like a serial killer would be into voodoo, really, unless... (laughs) Yeah. I mean, you could make that a plot, but it's not done here. It's like, are you a serial killer or are you like weird and like doing voodoo stuff? Yeah. Those things don't go together. Right. (laughs) (laughs) And so I think this movie would have been so much stronger, and I think this was kind of the original idea, is if a serial killer is in this doll, and he's doing this not because he wants to, like, take over a body like he should like being in this body like he's if he's a serial killer like he should just be terrorizing them because he likes killing people yeah and And that should be his motivation that's the flip side is like i also don't understand why he hates being in the doll's body so much like a lot of the series is about him like worried so 
fixated on the fact that he's going to be stuck in this doll's body forever and trying to get out of the doll's body. When it's the I perfect disguise for a serial killer, because you can kill anyone you want and right. no one will suspect you because you are a doll. <laughs> And you're in a world that accepts ginger dolls as being cute somehow when they're inherently terrifying and murderous looking. I don't think it's that he's ginger that makes him terrifying. <laughs> no! I think there are other factors. No. I agree with you, but I still like that he still has to chase down Andy. So if there was a way to combine those, like there's a reason he has to keep terrorizing Andy. Sure. The other thing that like rubs me the wrong way about the whole rules of this movie... It's just that, like, the whole thing is that he's getting to be stuck in the doll. Like, at a certain amount of time that I think is never really defined. No. Yeah. He's, he's turning stuck more in, human the doll. in the doll. Yeah. There's a that ticking make clock. Sense. Like, you're either turning into the doll <laughs> and less human. <laughs> like, why is turning more human going to get him stuck in the doll's body? Like, I think it's because never he's, like, a doll with, like, a personality. But the more he stays in it, like... And the doll becomes real, but he's still a doll. It's like but, then shouldn't he want it to become more human? No, because then he looks like that. So it's like <laughs> it's he wasn't that hot to begin with. Like. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't demand perfect logic from my shitty horror movies. I don't know why, but like something like The Covenant, or Rennie Harlan <laughs> shitty horror movies, like or The Faculty even, like that's another like extremely shitty horror movie. But at least it at least tries to set out rules for the world. I feel like this is setting up rules. The rules are just ridiculous. Like this movie's ridiculous. It's silly, but I just feel like there's just a lot that it does right. Like there's moments of levity that I feel like are as opposed to later child's play movies I feel like they're actually funny like he's oh, he's in the elevator at some point just hanging out in there and a couple comes in they're looking at the doll and then they leave and one of that one of the people is like ugly doll and as soon as they're out of earshot Chucky goes fuck you <laughs> like I genuinely laughed at that I yeah. thought it was so quote unquote silly but I didn't think it was funny I wanted it to be funny, and it was just silly to me. I thought it was both. I really liked that moment, too. And, and there were other good lines, not even necessarily, like, from Chucky, but, like, Aunt Maggie in the beginning, when the, like, homeless guy mm-hmm. walks off and says something, like, rude. She's like, I think I dated him. Like, she yeah. was a good character. Like, she was yeah. a fun, sassy, like, friend. And even though I knew that she was not long for this world, because <laughs> sassy friends never are. Oh. Uh but, like, I was, like, I was into, like, the scene of just, like, those two women, like, hanging out. Like, I think this movie does a really great job of setting up the mother character, played by Catherine Hicks of Seventh Heaven. Oh, is Seth oh, wow. from? Yes. Oh, wow. And also, um, my favorite guilty pleasure trash horror movie, Turbulence. <laughs> oh, never my seen that. goodness. Was that also the year Air Force One came out? I think it was. <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> Uh, I have not thought about that movie in a million years. We're going to have to cover that one. I'm surprised I have not made you watch it, because it is a Christmas movie. We're going to have to cover the, like, plain thrillers. We have to do that in Air Force One. Con Air. Con Air? Oh, my goodness, yes. Okay, well... (laughs) It's set. (laughs) You heard it here first, listeners. (laughs) So I thought the movie did a really... Quite a fantastic job, actually, of setting her up and her situation. Like, it felt really believable to me. Like, who she was and her whole situation. Like, I felt like I believed that she was struggling as much as she was. Like, she wants to buy this doll for her kid so much, and yet she can't afford it. And that felt believable to me. And the job that she had... There's so many movies where, like, we're supposed to believe that, you know, like, Jennifer Lopez 
as is a down on her luck, like whatever. <laughs> but like living in, you know, yeah. some fabulous apartment and like but like this to me felt like this woman actually doesn't have the money for this doll. Like I don't know why I noticed this random detail, but when she gets off the bus at the end of her shift when her friend is she's seeing like her the police scene mm-hmm. outside of her apartment, she's like holding a book. It's not a, anywhere in the plot, but it's like of course, like she takes the bus and she's like reading a book on the bus. Like and just that little detail just felt like a lived in detail where this character made sense to me and there was just every like detail about her life just made enough sense to me and I was like genuinely kind of touched by her relationship with her son like I just I believed when she gets onto that crime scene I thought that she did a a really great performance just like the way that she played being concerned about her son and like that's her first priority and she's like where's my son where's my son not think about anything else she sees her son she's like oh thank god he's okay and then there's this sort of like growing like uh oh but I don't know where Maggie is and and she has to play this sort of like she's upset about her friend but relieved that her son is okay and I don't know I just felt like that all felt like for one a moment that you don't see in a lot of horror movies is that you could, she there's a moment where she actually like grieves for her friend and is very conflicted about you know how she should feel in this moment and, and all the confusion and I, I liked the way that that all played out here versus like usually there's, like, a kill scene and then, like, either it's a very canned reaction from, like, the main character Mm -hmm. or there's no reaction at all. And I I liked that this movie felt like what it would really feel in a a horror movie kind of way, but, like, took the time to grapple with that and actually, like, have a bit of weight. Yeah, the two biggest things I liked about this and did not expect at all were the complexity of the mom character and how long it took for them to actually show the doll, like, coming to life. There were things about it I found more enjoyable and slightly more surprising than I expected. But I also think that, like, Chris, your characterization that, like, it was kind of trying to be schlocky and silly, but for me it didn't come across as funny and really watching it now, I kind of understand why it's not a thing that people constantly invoke as like a horror classic that redefined the genre. No, I don't think it redefined anything. I just find it an entertaining hour and a half mm-hmm. without being fantastic. <laughs> and I get not, it. And, yeah. not, and definitely not being the worst like schlocky horror movie. I feel like it kind of knows what it is and is having fun with it. I wouldn't characterize this movie as funny. I think there are funny moments, but it's generally... I don't want to say it's trying to take itself seriously, but it's more of a drama, I guess. Like, it's it's more... I don't know. The second one to me, which we'll talk about, is is more trying to be a, com- a comedy. And then Bride of Chucky is its own thing. <laughs> what is mostly missing from this movie for me is the metaphor for why this is happening to this family. Like, this mother and son's relationship doesn't change because of this experience. It just feels like killer doll comes to life, terrorizes this, this family... She initially doesn't believe him. Yeah. She very quickly then believes him. Yeah, but it's not about the relationship between a mother and right. son. Like, the best horror movies, I feel like, are about something. like Duke. The Duke is about dealing with grief and depression, yeah. and that is why the Duke comes into their lives. There's no subtext here. Yeah. And, and, and again, I feel like that's why the voodoo thing feels like such a cop-out, is because it doesn't then try to give us a character-based line for what this monster really is or what it, what it represents. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it takes a lot of half steps in that direction. And I think what you were telling us earlier about what the creator initially wanted to do makes a lot of sense because I feel like a lot of this is set up to do that and it, it takes a couple steps in that direction. 
Um, this movie reminded me of The Exorcist, uh, not in quality, but in um, just the the way that that movie also taps into a mother's kind of anxiety. Like, both of those movies deal with, like, did this kid kill the, the person who dies? Mm-hmm. And in both movies, it's actually, like, thrown out the window. And that movie goes further with it, obviously, and there's a lot more subtext to, like, her being the devil and is this girl just acting out. This movie kind of starts with that and is, like, is it this kid kind of... I agree with you, but I never for a second thought Andy did anything because he was played as a very wimpy kid and there's nothing Mm -hmm. in his behavior that would make him feel like he's, like, a no-good kid in any way. So there was no, like, gray area. Like, I totally was like, it's the doll the entire time. Like, maybe it would have been a little bit more interesting if you're, like, didn't know for a little bit. And then when the doll comes alive, you know, you know for a fact it's it's the doll. Yeah, I feel like yeah. also this there's, like, kind of a fatal flaw in this movie that it feels like was also forced by, like, studio notes of having that opening scene with yeah. the yeah. killer. Like, yeah. if, if this movie started with the doll, and theoretically you don't know, like you actually maybe are wondering, is this kid, Mm -hmm. like, manifesting all this stuff on the doll? And even the movie is kind of shot. Because, like, you don't see the doll, like, moving except for in an animatronic way for a long time. Like, even when Chucky is supposedly talking to Andy, you don't actually hear it. So it could be Mm -hmm. a psychological thing. So the movie's actually shot as if that whole opening scene isn't there. And that would have been much better. (laughs) Um yeah, like, you could have even had a flashback if you needed it, but I, I don't think it really needed to open with that, because then you're, you know that he's transported his soul in this right. doll, so you never think that Andy might have done it in any way. Yeah, I think the movie tries a little bit to have it two different ways, which is, one, we're kind of in Andy's point of view, and the story is a little bit about how no one believes a kid, and it's that sort of goosebumps thing that mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. talked about a lot in that episode, where, like, almost all of those books are about, like, something's crazy happening, I'm gonna tell my mom, she doesn't believe me, because I'm a kid, and I think that there was a lot of opportunity to tap into that, and the sort of, I mean, we were kind of brushing up against this idea earlier, too, but just, like, that age where a kid is starting to take on a private life, and have an imagination of their own and a kid is meant to kind of go off and play and I think Catherine Hicks is actually playing this a little bit more than the script is actually requiring it of her of like being concerned like my child is having these thoughts and is having this private experience with a doll in this movie and it's like she's suspicious and she's like worried but like she also wants to be rational that like of course like my child can't be being influenced by an adult man who's sleeping in bed with her son (laughs) a date with a five-year-old boy (laughs) i mean this movie is a bit transgressive in those kinds of ways but like she is playing that concern where it's like i don't know what my child is thinking or doing when he's off playing by himself and i thought that that had a lot of potential and the movie just doesn't quite ever take it Well, it's funny because it kind of parallels our discussion of encountering these movies for the first time and like encountering these movies as kids. No, like the, the, the difference, the gap between what we're perceiving as reality and what we're perceiving in the stories that we tell ourselves and the stories that we take in at a really early age. And I agree with you, Chris, like the, the mother's kind of struggle with whether her kid is actually describing real things that he's encountering in the world or 
whether he's just like making up stories to rationalize the fact that he's having some kind of some kind of psychotic break or something like that's interesting and that's not really a thing i expect from a schlocky shitty horror movie but again it's also like in this movie i do feel like that's kind of half-baked at best. Yeah, there's a kind of a nice point also when the mom realizes, like, I'm glad this movie didn't play it where she doesn't get it until the very end or something because that would just be a little Mm -hmm. tedious. Um, And I kind of like it when she knows what's going on and no one else will believe her. And it's like her trying to get these men to believe her and it's like no one like is taking this like single mom seriously who's poor you know it's like it's very much like people who are not believed by like institutions so i did like that i thought this movie had one kind of fantastic moment with the batteries when the bat she realizes the batteries are not in that was the third and final thing that i really (laughs) genuinely enjoyed in this movie so that is um She's kind of doubting, like, maybe my son's telling the truth about this doll, and she's kind of scared. The crucial moment, kind of, where the mom is really questioning, like, she either has to believe that her son is committing these crimes, or that there's something, like, really fucked up and supernatural going Mm -hmm. on, and she doesn't want to believe either of those things. Mm -hmm. And so she's kind of talking to the doll and, like, even, like, kind of daring it to say something, and at the moment it doesn't, so she's then questioning her own sanity and she's about to just kind of give up on the idea that that this could possibly be real and then she picks up the box that the doll came in and the batteries fall out and she realizes that this doll has been talking the whole time but actually no one put the batteries in so how is it doing that and the doll he does talk in like the like hi yeah the fun buddy voice (laughs) yeah she realizes, you know, that something weird is going on and threatens to throw him in the fire. And then he says, like, like you, you fucking slut. bitch, <laughs> you slut. Yeah. He really likes the word bitch. And slut. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, can we now talk about that part? <laughs> How like Chucky is a real fucking misogynist. Yeah, that. That gets worse in the next few movies, so maybe... Oh, yeah. It's, oh, the so seeds of more. that are here. <laughs> the, the seeds seed of, of Chucky <laughs> yeah. are here. Uh, <laughs> I feel like it was a pretty big deal in the first one. It felt like that character was kind of an outlet for hatred of women. You know what, though? That's what kind of makes him different than, like, Jason or Michael Myers. I'm not saying in a good way, but it's just interesting that... He really does have a very strong personality. Like, if you were to describe Michael Myers, like, what can you really say? If you were going to describe Chucky, like, you could say a lot of things, I feel like. Mike Myers doesn't talk. Right. But I'm saying, what about, like, um, Freddy Krueger? Like, there's not too much to say about a lot of um, very classic horror villains. So I'm just saying for better or worse, like, he really does have a very strong personality. What is, what is that, what is the strength of that personality other than hating women? Uh, I, I mean, he's not just hating women. He has a very sarcastic personality. He's very angry, has anger issues. <laughs> but I think it is because the writer wanted to make him a main character versus the character people are just running from. Mm-hmm. I'm just, I just find it interesting. Like, I'm not saying that that's the best character in the world. It's not Hannibal Lecter as far as, like, villains are concerned. But I just think it was an interesting direction and an interesting way to write a character. Yeah, when you name, I think, the four or five most prolific 
slasher movie villains. I think Chucky is maybe fourth or fifth on that list. Like, not of the greatest ones, but just of the most, like, known in pop culture. Like, even as kids, like, I knew what Chucky's personality was. I never saw any of these movies. I don't know how I knew that, but I did. Somehow I picked it up through osmosis, like, what Chucky was. And I think that there is something very distinct about him, for better or worse. (laughs) But, like, I also like the fact that unlike any of these other horror villains, like, the fact that the character are all hugging him so much in this movie <laughs> is so different like it's scary that like like in the same scene that we were just talking about like Catherine Hicks has him in her hands like mm-hmm. you never no Michael Myers doesn't sit on anyone's lap and people are just like <laughs> sitting there so there is some suspense to be mined out of just having him in the scene yeah. and yet no one is afraid of him because no one even knows that he is animate let's move on to Child's Play 2 surprise Did you miss me, Andy? I sure missed you. I told you. We were going to be friends to the end. And now it's time to play. I got a new game, sport. It's called Hide the Soul. And guess what? You're it. Child's Play 2 was released November 9th, 1990. It was directed by John Lafia. It was written by Don Mancini, and it stars Alex Vincent again as Andy and Brad Dorif as Chucky. Not Steven Dorf. <laughs> Not Steven Dorf. The budget was $13 million. The box office was $35.8 million. Reviews-wise, it has a 44% on Rotten Tomatoes. Richard Harrington of the Washington Post called it an inevitable sequel that's not as good as its progenitor, but better than most movies with the numbers 2 through 8 in their titles. Let's just get to it. What did you guys think of Child's Play 2? I think we should go in the same order we went in last time. <laughs> Does Seth even need to say anything? Honestly, no. I could I could just emit noises at this point and accurately convey my feelings about it. I watched both of these films on YouTube. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I'd, so did I. Yeah. yeah. I have to say it was heightened by the occasional interruption <laughs> of like video changeovers between eight-minute segments of this film. Oh, my God. Um, <laughs> you guys, there's a perfectly good library around the corner. <laughs> but YouTube is right there. But it's worse. <laughs> I don't know what's better or worse at this point, honestly. It was always very clear to me that this movie was not really intending to be more than like a fun, silly B-horror movie. And the first one does have some moments that are definitely more serious and more kind of intentional and interesting than I expected. Uh, the second movie was exactly as bad as I expected, and, is that a, yeah, a dramatic no, pause? I, I feel like all of the sequels kind of take this turn where they are intentionally even sillier, even further for doll-related gags, and the movies become more of a kind of delivery device to kind of make these Looney Tunes-esque moments. And I will admit that, like, watching the sequel and watching the clips that Becky sent us, I got some chuckles. Chuck. Chucky related laughs. Chucky chuckles. But I don't consider them movies. I just kind of like consider them like extended sketches. Maybe because you're watching them in eight minute segments (laughs) on YouTube. Uh, Which I would complain about if it were most other movies, but this I don't really care. This didn't really matter. Exactly! (laughs) Going into this movie, I was down for a little more child's play. Like after. (laughs) After watching the first one. You were open for play. I was looking to play. (laughs) 
No, not with the child. <laughs> <laughs> Unlike Brad Dourif and Stephen Dorff, you did not have a date with a six-year-old. I was six looking for old. some adult play. <laughs> with the child. <laughs> no. No. I will not be held on record saying that. Never, uh, never land. <laughs> I was interested in seeing the further explorations of this cinematic series. <laughs> and I loved this movie. <laughs> no! It's official. Me and Chris are going to watch these movies together. <laughs> I loved this movie for about no. 30 to 35 minutes, maybe. I was watching this movie, and I was like, this is better than the first one. This movie is great. I love where this is going. This is doing all the right things. And then there's a very distinct point where that all stops, oh, I think. Okay. And this movie became really what I was expecting of any Child's Play sequel. I think that this movie does a lot of things right in its setup, and then just kind of... <laughs> what is the turning point, Chris? Like, I need to know. I think everything is really kind of fascinating and, like, for this kind of movie, great. Up until Kyle, the female foster child character, finds out that Chucky's alive, basically. That scene is good, and then I think everything after that is garbage. Hmm. Becky? I really like this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like... Seth has never felt so betrayed in his life. <laughs> No, it's a perfect betrayal. I feel like Child's Play, the original one, is like very gritty, indie-ish, like let's just throw a movie together and there's some good moments and it's a silly premise, but like there's entertainment value there. Now I feel like with Child's Play 2, it was somebody got assigned like, here's your premise, do what you can with it. Um, and that Same they, as the first, only worse. <laughs> like, no, I feel like they were like, okay, I have to make a competent movie with, like, this ridiculous set of circumstances. Competent. And I feel like they kind of shined <laughs> at, like, this project of making this great, like, <laughs> making a silly movie. Just from the very beginning, it feels a lot more competently made, even just stylistically. It feels very, like, pop art. I don't know. Like, there's just a lot of, like, color in this movie. Mostly red. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, yellow. <laughs> what? Oh, blood. And hair. <laughs> oh, <laughs> Browns. There's just this movie is very bright. Like I feel like the first one is very gritty and dark, and maybe that's also just how it was filmed because it was like an earlier movie. It just feels brighter and poppier. It's funny. This one has jokes that make me laugh. Like the moment where he says, "Hi, I'm Tommy." <laughs> like I genuinely laughed. I thought that was a funny moment where where he's pretending to be the other good guy doll. I hate you. Like that's funny, and it's like it's it's a it's a real joke. <laughs> it's a joke that yeah. has good comedic timing. Um, there's also one later with um, uh, what's her name, the Kyle. Kyle, when she gets pulled over and the cop sees blood coming out of <laughs> Chucky's nose, <laughs> and she has to explain it, and she's just like, you know, those dolls that pee, this one bleeds. Hey, that's one of those good guys, isn't it? Yes, it is. I love these things. What's your name, buddy? Chucky. <laughs> That's incredible. I'll say. What the hell's that? Hey, 
You seen dolls that pee? This one bleeds. That's a funny joke. And I remember being in the theater and people were like laughing at that. But that was what you talked about as the rationale in the first script yeah. like the first version of the script so interesting he probably kept that joke for like a couple I think years so. <laughs> no like he kept it in the back pocket like and i liked kyle he didn't have a lot of jokes no so. to be, <laughs> <laughs> that's true limited supply um but i liked kyle i did like that character yeah i really was surprised yeah. i i didn't remember a lot about this movie except i remembered i liked it growing up it was my favorite child's play growing up and that was pretty much all i remembered i remember that i liked it but i didn't remember why and so i was surprised rewatching it that i liked the characters i thought that the relationships between these people were kind of genuine and you know they're not the most well-developed characters but i thought for a schlocky horror movie like i really liked kyle and I really liked Andy much more in this movie. I liked his foster parents. I was surprised to realize that I liked the characters. I had both of those jokes that you just mentioned written down. And another one that related is <laughs> when uh, I think the cop asks the doll, he's like, oh, what's your name? And he just goes, Chucky. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, there are a lot of well-timed jokes like that. I, like, I feel like this one capitalizes on what worked in the first one, and even though there was only a couple of those jokes there, I think this is probably the best happy medium of, like, who Chucky can be. Because mm-hmm. he got a little too much later in the series, <laughs> as, as we will talk oh. about. Uh, I have a message for Kyle. Welcome to the Blondes. <laughs> <laughs> I loved Kyle in this movie. <laughs> a new entry into the blondes. Welcome to the blondes. We must mark this moment. This is the podcast this within the a, podcast. This is a much heralded moment within the <laughs> When We Were Young podcast. An entry to the blondes. I had no idea what this movie was about, any characters or anything. So she comes on screen. She could be in that one scene and that's it. I didn't know. And I was like, oh, I, I like this actress. She's very pretty. She's Christina Lee is her real name. Did I, you watch 90210? growing up because she She did look familiar so I don't think I saw very many of the episodes that she was in because she I don't know what season she was in but I think I had checked out by then (laughs) I I never saw that thought that this character I thought that the actress was Clea Duvall forever Mm. that whenever Clea Duvall she's very Duvallish whenever Clea Duvall's in something like I'll turn to my husband and be like she's in Child's Play (laughs) 2 she's not in Child's Play 2 it's totally the wrong actress you provided fake news to your I husband? I did. I did. I balked at that because marriage. she reminds me of Faruza Balk in oh, this movie. Oh, you balked You balked at her. <laughs> you balked at her and Becky Duvall did her. And also she was giving me very Nev Campbell vibes in this movie as well. I'm so. glad I introduced you to your latest crush. <laughs> Honestly, a girl from she, 1990. <laughs> she gives a full craft of vibes here. <laughs> well, at least she's not a six-year-old boy, so we've got an improvement here. <laughs> So you liked Kyle? I really liked... Like, I wrote, like, one, like, positive Kyle note, but then she kept being in more scenes, and I was like, ooh, more Kyle notes. Like, <laughs> basically, my whole notes are just, like, how much I... Is it just, like, like, Chris <laughs> loves Kyle? <laughs> Diddle doodles. Chris Hart Kyle. <laughs> no, I thought it... But it was, like, funny. Like, she... At one point, like, 
She charmed you. Well, she walks in, or she comes through the window when, like, mm-hmm. Chucky yeah. has, like, tied Andy to the bed. <laughs> right? <laughs> the BDSM jump rope scene. And she just kind of is like, what are you doing? Like, I don't know. <laughs> just, like, moments like that. And then her interaction with the parents was funny. I really liked the scene where she was smoking and then, like, Oh, they're Andy, doing laundry? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, there was a lot of good character development just between the two of them. And I was worried that she was going to get killed too early because she was by far the highest highlight of the movie. Truly, I was scared for her. And especially in the trash can scene, I love the scene where she throws away the Chucky doll that's really Chucky and then finds the buried actual Tommy doll. Yeah, she's like, uh, she's buried. Well, let's back up. This takes place a few years after the events of the first one. Andy is now in foster care. His mom, I guess, went crazy. Or they like, (laughs) it's one of those like Sarah Connor things where nobody believes her, so they throw in the loony bin. So he's in foster care and he's joining a new family. Meanwhile, (laughs) they have taken the Chucky doll that was burnt to a crisp in the first one. Somehow the good guy company got a hold of that evidence and turned it into another fresh doll. Like, they took the charred remains. Why? Like, that... I, I always liked the Why? opening sequence. Like, I just think it looks fun to watch, like, them create this doll from scratch. Or, I guess, not from scratch. They make it from this charred doll. But, like, in general, this doesn't make any sense that they would do that. Um, I guess they wanted to, like, keep the doll handy so that i don't know like they wanted to like spin the news about what happened yeah they got bad publicity from the first thing because even though no one believes that it was a killer doll people still believe that there might have been some kind of flaw in this doll that it was saying weird things or something and inspired these murders from the first movie right so then like that's how chucky like comes alive again and he ends up, like, murdering people, the doll workers. And he <laughs> needs to find Andy because, again, he can only put his soul in Andy. So he finds Andy at his foster parents. And Kyle is another foster child who's much older who lives there. No, like, the watching the sequel really connected deeply for me how much this movie is about an obsession with a young boy. Yeah. I, I don't know. There's something about it that is just inherently creepier by the sequel. Yes, it is and creepier because in the first one, it's by kind of happenstance. Exactly. That the doll and the boy are together. Like, this doll doesn't go seeking a boy. It's just that's what naturally happens because that's who plays with the doll. In yeah. this one, he's like following this boy. Yeah. It's, it's weird. Because, but... like, at first, when I was, like, sitting down to watch the sequel, I was like, okay, so, like, it's interesting that the same actor and same character are in all these movies. I expect some kind of story continuity, some kind of, like, character development, but I don't know, like, especially in this movie, it kind of creeped me out, just inherently. Well, <laughs> a few things. <laughs> <laughs> The one thing I will give this entire franchise is continuity. They do a great job <laughs> of keeping like the actors consistent, the they story do. consistent. None of these other franchises that have gone on for as many movies mm-hmm. as this have like managed to keep the same cast or like they all have like things that don't make a lot of sense and I'm not a stickler for continuity in this series particularly but there are a few things that don't make sense in Mm -hmm. Bride of Chucky but (laughs) overall like I was amazed at how much consistency there was just of like the character in the first three movies like because to me like Scream does that and that was one of the first movies that was able to keep like the Sidney Prescott character in all three movies and tell a consistent story and I loved that and that's kind of what I really liked about this movie 
movie too is that it's about this boy who's experienced this trauma and again no one believes him and I loved the fact that this doll is still like a cultural thing the doll basically like shows up again and he thinks it's like, he wants to believe that it's Tommy, like, another version of this mm-hmm. doll. And yet, like, he can't quite shake the feeling, like, this is the doll that, you know, tried to kill me and all this. And so just this sort of suspicion of this benign thing that's, like, following him and chasing him, I thought was kind of an interesting approach to a movie like this, that this innocent thing is such a reminder to him of such a dark thing from his past. This movie is Terminator 2. Yeah, that's the thing, like, I keep coming back mm. to, like, thoughts of Terminator. Well, then that would be Chucky is a good guy, is a good guy, uh, is a real... hero uh, in the second one, right? Like Anti-hero. No, the, this movie starts with, like, the scarred Chucky face, and the score is very extra. <laughs> the scores in all of these movies are... Like, I'm going to play the opening to this movie, if I can find it. I love yeah. the opening. That is actually, like, that is another big note for me for the sequel. The score... Basically, James Cameron ripped off Child's Play 2, <laughs> because Child's Play 2 was first. Uh, it was a year later. Oh, <laughs> Both movies start with like the Great charred goodness. face of the monster, uh, like a, the yeah. skeleton of the monster. For some reason, Chucky has really real teeth. Yeah, and like very accurate. Like they're yeah. they're people teeth. I don't know why they're people <laughs> they teeth. They are people teeth in a doll face. Yeah, like a, a real doll would have like not a real doll. No, not a real doll, but like. A doll, like a, your your average doll, would have like one piece be all of the teeth that are just kind of molded. But this is, mm-hmm. looks like individual teeth. <laughs> right. So oh. the story is about the mom locked up in a mental institution, yes. and the boy goes to foster care with parents who don't oh. like get him and don't believe <gasps> him on what he said. And it all ends in a giant factory oh. where they kill the thing. Like this movie is exactly <laughs> Terminator Two. Exactly. He even has like a <laughs> knife hand thing. He does. It's like, true. It's the same movie. I never movie. even thought about that. <laughs> and wait, but, but is voodoo is voodoo Skynet? <laughs> is, <laughs> is I ask that every day. <laughs> is that your daily affirmation? It's voodoo Skynet. <laughs> Did you like Beth Grant as the teacher? Of course, I liked Beth Grant as the teacher. I think we all noted Beth Grant. Guys, this is the movie I know Beth Grant from. Whenever I see her what? in a movie, I think. I, I didn't this? realize, but I realized that wow. now that she is the teacher from Child's Play 2. She reads Pinocchio to her class, which I, f- I f- thought was cheeky. That was a, f- a fun was little so detail. So cheeky. <laughs> she, right now, in 2019, is not even 70 years old. Wow. So what? she was like 40. In this. <laughs> she is, she's always looked like a woman of a certain age. Yeah, she was born to play an old lady. Like, I think she was, <laughs> she's Benjamin Buttoning or something. Like, I think she is. Respect to her for that. Another amusing moment is, like, she's looking through the class's drawings, and on Andy's is written, fuck you, bitch. (laughs) (laughs) One great line is in the classroom. I think it's Andy who says it to another kid. He says, get lost, microchip? (laughs) Did you know? I didn't. I (laughs) I remember it now that you say it. Because I was like, is that what he said? Like, I I guess that was an insult back in (laughs) Back in the day. Was it, though? I just think this movie is super fun. I think it's, again, not the best movie ever made, but, like, just super <laughs> fun. Super entertaining. Gone with the check. <laughs> Dear Library of Congress. <laughs> I think it's really entertaining, and I feel like, 
this feels like a project that somebody ha- had a task to make this movie good, and they they succeeded at the silly, silly premise. Good job with your project task. Yeah, I always loved the last sequence in the factory, and I think it's really iconic, really creepy with all the dolls. Um, I mean, it's kind of silly how they end up there, but once they're in there, like, I just, I always loved the conveyor belts, and I just, I loved the the color, like, I liked that it wasn't, like, shadowy, like, I liked that it was bright, and, like, everything's really well lit, but it's still really freaky, and that eye machine I had fucking nightmares about, like... Okay, the eye machine was the thing that I wrote down as, like, it was another thing, like, there are moments in all of these movies that I really connect with, in that kind of scare me or just like stir me for whatever reason the eye poker machine in the factory really got me yeah it's gross <laughs> i agree about like sort of some of the ideas in the factory yeah i think it's just it goes on forever and i don't think it's filmed very well and it's just it's just kind of this like onslaught of not terribly great special effects Mm -hmm. um like they're kind of interesting sometimes but they're not that convincing and i think one of the series limitations is just when they rely too much on chucky like action with chucky especially like when he has to move a lot and and do a lot like it's much better when he is kind of sneaking around like i love in the first scene like when you see him like streak by in the background like Mm -hmm. i find that scary i think the more that he's on screen the less you get out of the movie and he's on screen like all of that whole yeah. climax and I, I think it just works so much better when it's like creepy and you don't know where he is or he's a doll and you don't know if he's gonna like jump to life but well, as soon as he's like animated it's just it and, gets and I old. think that's part of the fatal flaw of Chucky as a character is that the more you see him the less you like him <laughs> and the more directly connected to his actions he is the sillier it gets like when he's like directly literally stabbing people it's just like Looney Tunes at that point and not a particularly funny or clever one. I don't think there's a version of that character that would be like a great horror movie for me because for me, great horror movies have to tie the terror of it to the characters. And it's like the more literal you make Chucky, the less depth it has. Yeah, I was, like I said, really into this film's story because I thought it was a really interesting, like, next step. Like, it wasn't just rehashing the first movie because, like, the mom character's not there. It was a new situation. Like, he's with these foster parents. And it was a take on the first question is, like, is this child evil? And it was that again, but it was kind of raised stakes because he's not even their child. So I... I really found it powerful when, like, the stepfather is murdered and the stepmom who's been defending him all this time, like, mm-hmm. is like, get away from me. And Yeah, and I liked that woman. Like, I liked that woman and... Yeah, I, I was yeah. interested. Like, you could see the conflict in that family and it felt believable that, like, they've taken on this child and they don't know, like, who this kid is. And then he starts being disturbed. And just knowing, like, in real life that happens all the time where a lot of children in that situation are disturbed. That's why they have, you know, need foster parents. They've had bad upbringings their parents haven't been around or trauma yeah 
And so you have to deal with the kid's trauma and you're trying to do it, but it's also, it can be really disruptive to your life. And so I thought that that was a very real story I liked, until that mm, story went away and it was just a factory fest. Right. I felt for Andy when he doesn't want anything to do with the Chucky doll. He's like, he's going to kill me. He's going to kill me. And then he overhears his foster parents saying like, well, maybe we'll like, he obviously has issues. Maybe we won't keep him, you know, like, or this isn't working out. So that's why he decides to go against how he actually actually feels and and be be like it's Tommy not Chucky because he wants a family like he doesn't want to be sent back like that was a very good device to get him to like warm up to the doll I felt like it felt like real that he really didn't want them to send him back I thought it was creepy also how like Chucky was just at the bottom of the stairs so often but would occasionally disappear but he would always be back like I thought that was a clever yeah like the stepfather throws him down there and so every time the stepfather wants to be like see he's still there he is but then other other times he just like is off sneaking around the house like I thought there was a decent amount of like creepy visuals here like the swing also mm-hmm. where they're on the swing and she's on there and you know that he's like I liked the swing around. like again like there are sequences of this that really did kind of surprise me in how well they're done but it doesn't contribute to kind of any more connected story it doesn't even have to be a deeper story I love like a lot of horror movies that are really like deep you know they are actually like about something like those are my favorite horror movies this just feels fun to me and I feel like it's well done for what it is and it's fun. It's not something that I'd be like, have you seen Child's Play 2? <laughs> like, you have well, to watch okay. it. <laughs> we haven't discussed this franchise on the podcast, but I recently watched uh, many Hellraiser movies. <laughs> I've never Ooh. seen a Hellraiser. I had never no. seen any of the Hellraisers. And again, like, after watching a whole lot of them in one fell swoop, I was like, you know, I, I didn't need to watch this. My... <laughs> Perception as a child was just accurate. wasted a Saturday. Why did you watch more than should I should I ask this? <laughs> no, it's Why did you keep there watching? are a lot of Clive Barker. It's Clive Barker, right? I don't know. Isn't that Hellraiser? I don't know. Whichever person nail made face, the Hellraiser. Right? That's who that is. Yes, it's Nailface. Yes. Nailface it's Yeah. The Nailface Chronicles. Nailface. It's, nail face. <laughs> it's uh, what's his name? What's his name? Home Depot. Oh, God. It's on the tip of my tongue. Uh, Tip of my tongue. (laughs) Hellraiser guy. I'm Googling it. Hellraiser guy. Pinhead. (laughs) I think I was right. What did you say? Was that Google? Nail face. (laughs) Pinhead. I like nail face. (laughs) Why did you watch any of Hellraiser? I'm allowed to ask you that because we didn't do it on the podcast. So I'm asking, why did you watch this? I felt the same way in watching so much Child's Play. (laughs) So much. Honestly, this week has been filled with so much Child's Play. (laughs) I And we're not done yet. We're really not. We're halfway there. Um, So, Child's Play 3 came after Child's Play 2. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it was released August 1991. Box office was 20 million, 29% on Rotten Tomatoes, so it keeps getting lower and lower as we keep going forward in time. Uh, Child's Play 3, um, Andy is older. It's played by a different actor. Justin Whalen. Is that somebody? Kind of. Like, he was in Stuff. movies. Oh, okay. Um, he's now enrolled in the army, and somehow Chucky comes back to life and is following him to the Marines. And he's actually found out a different way to put his soul on somebody else, so he sends himself 
to like the he mails himself to a military academy Mm -hmm. i don't know how because he would have to be in the box to like write right whatever yeah oh yeah it's not the army it's a military academy yeah he he mails himself and so basically his mark i watched this movie by the way uh his his mark in this is another little boy. It's very weird because it doesn't feel like this kid would be at a military academy because he's young enough to, like, know that Chucky's talking and just be like, this is cool. Like, this is my new friend. Like, mm-hmm. not like, what the fuck is going on? So I don't know why this kid is at <laughs> military academy. But anyway, Andy is also at this military academy and sees Chucky. And it's basically the same plot where he is. It's the same plot. <laughs> Where he's just but trying just to... just in the military academy. Yeah. I remember not liking this movie in the theaters when I saw it. <laughs> and with just, your mom. With my mom. And no one else. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was a, a very low attendance in that theater. Um, yeah, I just... It was just darker, not as funny. Maybe there were jokes, but they weren't as funny. It just was kind of forgettable. So I remember not liking it. I didn't watch it again. Yeah, I I put it on and I sort of appreciated the setup a little bit just because it's interesting to see where Andy would be as a teenager having been through all this. And there's a kind of an interesting feminist twist in that there's like a badass like girl in the academy who's like kind of constantly like one upping the guys. So that held my attention for about 10 minutes. (laughs) Um, And then kind of like the second one, but even worse, is once Chucky started, you know, just running around, like, I feel like the (laughs) effects with each movie get worse somehow. Like, I actually appreciated the effects in the first movie. You know what? It's charming because it's in-camera special effects. It's charming. That is the first time (laughs) Child's Play has ever been called charm. But, like, I know you hate gremlins, but that's why when I see gremlins and the puppeteer work, I'm charmed by it. What I'm afraid of with the new child's play is that they're going to rely on CGI too much and that's not fucking charming at all. <laughs> I would argue that nothing is charming <laughs> anywhere. Is there, there going to be a quote from Becky Bain on the poster for child's play? Not charming. <laughs> not charming if they're C- I don't know if they're CGI but it's not charming <laughs> for things to be computer. Hot take. Child's Play is not charming. (laughs) No, I actually was, like, mostly okay convinced by the effects. Because he is a doll, for one thing. And I thought that they did a good job with his facial expressions in the first one. And then it feels like they just get worse as it goes along. And so, by this movie, like, it really felt like a doll that was, like, just being, like, kind of hurled (laughs) across the screen. That's funny. Yeah, uh, not charming was my review of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> but like the story, the character stuff was actually okay, not great. Like I, okay. I don't understand why you would ever put Chucky in a military. Just yeah, why well, that idea? High school or something like yeah. a spring break. You know why military? Canada? Yeah, like oh, I think God. you have a lot of potential to do like a story about it teenage Andy where it's like he's trying to put away childhood things and then this doll is coming back to haunt him and it's like the metaphor of like you're like not leaving childhood behind enough that's not what this movie is isn't that Toy Story with Andy and his dolls yes yes (laughs) Toy Story 4 in theaters now (laughs) Child's Play 2 is Terminator 2 Child's Play 3 is Toy Story 3 You heard it here first. <laughs> does uh, does Chucky have Andy written on his foot? <laughs> Check his foot. 
Jenkins um, The new one comes out the same day as Toy Story 4. I know. I love it. And Great it's double close. feature, except for I will not, for the life of me, go see. 2019? <laughs> yeah. Chris saw Child's Play 3, but me and Seth didn't, so we'll move on. We saw yes, Bride of Chucky, so let's talk about that. You got your wish. You're mine now, doll. And if you know what's good for you, you are going to love, honor, and obey. I wouldn't marry you if you had the body of G.I. Joe. Hey, Raggedy Ann, you looked in the mirror lately? Now's not the time to get picky. Bride of Chucky was released October 16th, 1998. It was directed by Ronnie Yu, written by Don Mancini, starring Brad Dorif again as the voice of Chucky, Jennifer Tilly, Katherine Heigl, and John Ritter. The budget was $25 million and the box office was $50 million. Mm. Yeah, I know. Review-wise, it got 46% in Rotten Tomatoes. Lisa Schwartzbaum at Entertainment Weekly called it a teen horror for dummies, while Mick LaSalle of the San Francisco Chronicle said, anyone looking for nasty laughs will be delighted. I was looking for nasty laughs. Were you delighted? I was not. How did you feel? It was not charming. <laughs> not charming? Is that how you guys felt? Not charming? My Tinder profile says I'm open for nasty laughs. <laughs> Seth, what did you think? We watched this one together, by the way. It so was I don't not e- charming. <laughs> <laughs> Becky, early on in our viewing of this fine piece of cinema, you said, it's so cheeky. <laughs> it's very cheeky. If you meant the dolls have very large cheeks, I'm down for it. But otherwise, like, <laughs> cheeky implies some true. sort of cleverness. Okay, I will take this back. Child's Play 2 is cheeky. Okay. I don't know. Like, I don't know if I was capable of giving it a fair shot. I didn't enjoy this one either. <laughs> well, I'm going to have to turn the other cheek at your description of it as cheeky, because I think that is not the right word. <laughs> so, I enjoyed Child's Play pretty well. I had some goodwill towards Child's Play 2. I even appreciated a couple of things about Child's Play 3. Definitely diminishing returns as we went through that. You are now about to get the Chris that you were expecting for this entire episode. <laughs> Is he finally here? Oh my god. Ding dong, he arrived. Welcome, welcome, welcome. (laughs) This movie is vile. Like, this movie made me feel bad. I watched parts of this movie again today because we didn't, full disclosure, finish it. We couldn't. We couldn't. We couldn't. It shouldn't be finished. (laughs) (laughs) And I decided to do some due diligence and watch a little bit more because I I was just... Well, I sent clips. Did you watch the clips or did you watch more than what I sent? I watched, no, the actual movie. (gasps) Chris. Wait, you're talking about Seed and Curse and Colt? No, Bride of Chucky. Oh, okay. So I started in the honeymoon hotel scene. (laughs) 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 this movie disgusts me it's disgusting (laughs) it is a void of any thing any cinematic (laughs) intent any humanity like there is nothing in this movie like i just feel it's nihilistic it feels like nihilistic it's really disgusting they don't die at the end right no. The dolls or the the, the, the humans? Dolls. They do. They do. do. They? And she gives birth while dead. Okay. Okay, so the plot of this movie is that Jennifer Tilly <laughs> is a woman <laughs> who is a serial killer, I guess, has and met 
Chuck, uh, Charles Lee Ray when he was human and they had a, a thing. And now pays a police officer to break him out of like police evidence and then kills that officer and takes the doll home and resurrects him because she's in love with him. But then like he's like, I wasn't really into you. So she gets mad and then she locks him in a crib. But then he escapes and kills her and resurrects her as a doll. And then they're like friends and fall in love while trying to hitch a ride with Katherine Heigl and her boyfriend on this. They're they're killing people. They're killing people, but people think Katherine Heigl and the boyfriend are doing it. Well, they also think each other are doing it, but are kind of still in love. And then Katherine Heigl's gay friend keeps like popping up on the phone to be like exposition man Mm -hmm. until he gets hit by a truck. It's not really worth talking about. But anyway, (laughs) it all ends up in, you know, typical doll stabbing shenanigans. But just the, like, worldview of this movie is disgusting to me. Like, I just feel bad. I watched, like, maybe 15 or 20 minutes more of this movie. And at a very distinct point, I had to turn it off because I could not watch anymore. And I turned on The Pianist. (laughs) (laughs) And felt better. As a cleanser. And felt better about humanity watching a Holocaust movie than I did Made by Roman Polanski. Yes. Date with a six-year-old. Holocaust. Holocaust movie. We did watch Chernobyl after uh, Bride of Chucky, so... That was too bright. I needed something worse. Well, I'd like to say that, like, I was honestly kind of looking forward to watching this movie because I watched it once in my life during college. I thought that maybe it was funnier than I remember it being. No. (laughs) Oh, no, no, no. No. Making a joke isn't the same thing as being funny. And this movie has absolutely nothing funny about it. And the thing that makes it even worse is that it's making jokes and references. Constantly. It's like dad jokes the movie, but like no one is laughing. (laughs) Like it is just everything falls flat. Everything falls flat. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, what the hell? I need the exercise. Were you born with a knife super glued onto your hand or what? What are you talking about? For God's sake, Chucky, drag yourself into the 90s. Stabbings went out with Bundy and Dahmer. You look like Martha Stewart with that thing. Who the fuck is Martha Stewart? My idol. And what does Martha tell you to do when guests drop by for dinner and you haven't had time to shop? You improvise. This is increasingly true of all of these movies, but it basically is, like, the laziest writing where it's just, like, Chucky saying fucking bitch is supposed to be funny. And it kind of is, like, one time in the first movie and maybe in the second movie. And then the novelty wears off. And, like I said, like, in these movies, like, the more time you spend with Chucky, the less you get out of it. Oh, and he's the main character. Yeah, he's best used sparingly. And then here, it's, like, him and another character who makes even less sense than him. Like, so I came into this movie knowing really nothing except for that it was supposed to be a sort of like the post-Scream meta version of these movies and I thought well maybe I'll like that because I liked Scream and I like winking horror movies sometimes and instead like I mean, I was expecting it to be kind of like maybe a feminist take on the horror genre because it had a mm-hmm. a woman serial killer as well but she's the most unflattering portrayal of a woman like she's both a sexy like vamp character and she's obsessed with like getting married and like mm-hmm. 
-hmm. She's mad at Chucky for, like... Not proposing. Not not proposing to her. Forgetting even that those two things don't make any sense together, because she's, like, she seems like a total schizophrenic character, but just that you're gonna do a horror villain woman, and the plot is that she's, like, mad that she's not getting married, and there's scenes where she's like, oh, and she cries when she gets married, and she's like, I always cry at weddings. It's just, like, like what Seth was saying earlier about this series being misogynistic, is that really came out in this movie where there actually was a significant female character, which in number two, like Kyle is kind of, she kind of has a slightly androgynous look or, you know, she's not, she's not a super feminine character. But she's capable. Yeah, she's tough. She's like a cool character. She has a sense of self. And the third one Mm -hmm. has the military girl who's kind of a cool female character too. So this one really just brought out the nastiness that this character is because he makes jokes about her being kind of like a typical woman. Yeah. I, I don't know. I can't think of a specific joke, but he's just like, oh, women. Like, ugh. Yeah, no, he but says honestly, some... like, I, this is what I felt since that character existed. Again, it kind of showed to me the essential misogyny of that character. Like, it hates every woman, whether that is the mother of the son who he's trying to project his soul into or whether that's like the supposed object of his affections it's not exclusive it's not unique that this is a movie whose monster demonizes women that's part of a lot of horror franchises um but there's something about this franchise that seems especially punitive and just hateful toward all the women. All people who are not basically like the mainstream like white, white dude or something. Like because yeah. white man. Straight we're introduced man. to this gay character who is Catherine Heigl's friend and it's in a very weird way where he's like I guess pretending to be the date for Catherine Heigl for prom and it's really like he's kind of a decoy for like her actual boyfriend. But we get this John Ritter character. I don't know why he's in this movie. He's in it for like... Why? It's not even her dad. It's her uncle. Like, yeah. It doesn't make any sense. But he's like doing these like reactions to like these little revelations that this character is gay. It just kind of goes on from there. And then that character just like kind of cavalierly gets hit by a truck and ex- like explodes into blood. And it was just Oof. like... It was not good. And then there's also Alexis Arquette is in this movie um, playing a, a straight character, I guess. But just that he's like the joke is that he's goth or alternative and and, like he's meant to be a joke because he's not got tattoos yeah and also dies in this horrible way with his like piercings ripped out and it was just like this really hateful look at anyone who was not like mainstream like i felt like in at least the first two because i haven't seen the third one in a while it felt like the first two like you really obviously the point is we want to see kills but like you you there's some weight there to the people that die or that you might die. And in, you know, the Bride of Chucky and Beyond movies, it's more like, how can we kill this person and and delight in that? And it's delighting in the kill. And you don't care about these people whatsoever. They're not given a personality to like or root for at all. They're just there to be a body. And you're cheering for Chucky instead of the characters. Like... Yeah. You're meant to be on his side because he's making these observations that you're supposed to agree with about how, ooh, you're like a goth right. guy. That's gross and stupid. Like, yeah, he you're deserves not, to die. You're not horrified by the killings. You're like tickled by them. And that's, uh, again, like it's not to bring in outside franchises, but that was one thing about Hellraiser. Like the essential kind of sadism of it and the 
like the kills were the thing. Like the fact that the kills are the only thing that are really ultimately the point of a franchise is not enough to make it interesting for me. No, and this movie tries to reference like so many other movies. The opening is a nod really to Friday the 13th and Halloween, which was a big thing at this time, but like it's such an empty it just shows the masks and that's it. And you're supposed to be like, haha, like I get yeah. it. But it's not in any way like referencing the like the thematic content of those movies. It's like family guy level. <laughs> yeah. And then like later they're watching Bride of Frankenstein, which this movie is obviously like the whole premise mm-hmm. of it is inspired by but it's just like chucky don't pretend like you're frankenstein like (laughs) like this this movie is so far from that level that those comparisons just are embarrassing really like that this even thinks it's on the same level to even be able to like reference those movies i just feel like the first three movies are just a completely different thing yeah and then it's like he i i give him some props uh what's his name uh don mancini for realizing, like, how am I going to keep this character fresh? I need to try something new. But I don't think that new thing, like, worked necessarily, like, in a co- in a quality way. Because they did make a profit. So, you know, he did something right. But um, it just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. And if I don't think the Chucky in the first three is the Chucky in Bright of Chucky and Beyond. Like, they're completely different to me. Yeah, we watched a couple of clips of the other ones, and I agree that it just went in a completely different direction that, I guess, is more clever, you know, or more modern, postmodern, but also has so much less soul to it. Yeah. This is, honestly, the movie that I thought I might like the most out of these, and (laughs) instead, like, this is the movie that I feared that the whole franchise was, Mm. and I hated this movie like i can't think of another movie that i hate more than this movie right now like i can't think of anything (laughs) that i hate more than this movie like it's just yeah there was nothing there and i could not finish it and that this was like the assignment for the podcast (laughs) and me and seth were both like we're gonna kill it like end it we get it we get it and I would have been there like 10 more because I watched the next, you know, few minutes and then I was like, oh, nope. And I turned it off before I could finish it because it, it just was so distasteful. Like it just, it was making me feel bad. Like well, worse than a, a look, pianist like, or a United 93 movie. Like it was just <laughs> making me feel bad. Maybe it's my mass exposure to it only now, but like, it, like maybe my only experiencing it right now kind of flattens it out in terms of, like, how good each installment was relative to the last one, you know? And, like, how good it was over time. I didn't see that much difference. I do not agree. (laughs) Well, in terms of the essential nature of the character, I just think that, Chris, like you were saying earlier, it, it reaches a point where the series makes Chucky the central character of the franchise. And at that point, it's about kind of how much do you show of him and how many jokes can you make him say? And yeah, it just kind of goes off the cliff. And I mean, it keeps I, going. I think <laughs> this movie doesn't do itself any favors adding another doll character because literally so much of this movie is just two dolls looking at each other. Two dolls! No, not well they're either. ugly dolls. They're, they're ugly. ugly. And they're not convincing. Like, they don't feel lifelike. Somehow Chucky's face is much more lifelike in the first 
one or two movies. Like, he does more expressions. And these ones, it feels like just a doll that they, like, move its head. And it makes the bare minimum of, like, different faces. Yeah. These movies really don't take the opportunity to develop his character, which seems like a weird thing to say, but it's like, there's opportunity for him to do different things or want different things, but every movie is literally the same quest. Like, he is after someone to put his soul in their body, and for one thing, that didn't work very well in the first one, because that was the worst part. It was the whole voodoo thing. Mm-hmm. But they keep it up for all of these movies. No, I wish he would have, like, is. just like forgotten about the voodoo because no one cares like no one wonders how he gets animated every time like i would believe it if the piece of plastic just was like oh i'm chucky again like i don't Mm -hmm. need like a whole spell or just let it be magic yeah have you seen clips from the other ones i watched (laughs) sadly yes because I watched all of Seed of Chucky years ago, but I watched the trailer to just refresh. And the child they have is maybe the ugliest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> well, it's going into some kind of like Wes Anderson and like puppet, like our stop motion animation. Like it, where it's not even like a horror movie anymore. It's like a. Oh, it's not a horror movie. It's like British. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, can we pull this up? Yes. Wait, I cracked the code. That's David Bowie. <laughs> oh, God. That's that number. is, like, a sub-scary movie. Like, that's yeah. a joke that, like, wouldn't yes. even be particularly funny in a scary movie. Yeah. And by scary movie, <laughs> I mean the scary movie franchise, not an actual scary movie. <laughs> I watched those clips, and then we got to the next one. Curse of Chucky, which is, like, another tonal... There was a point where there right? was one that was just super gory, and I was like, I am done. I think that was Curse of Chucky? People seem to say I didn't watch more than, like, one scene of... Curse of Chucky and Cult of Chucky. People seem to say, like, oh, now it's back to being scary, not, like, joke, joke, joke. Um, But I am not going to give them a chance. (laughs) Because... Honestly, Seth, as much as I appreciate the first two, I got chuckied out this week. Like, I hit a wall. Honestly, I hit a Chucky wall early, but I feel like everyone hits it at some point. (laughs) Everybody hits the wall at some point. Everyone hits the Chucky wall. (laughs) Yeah, these are not movies that are meant to be binged. (laughs) (laughs) You guys. No, not charming, not bingeable. (laughs) (laughs) And I actually put on the first movie again today because I had such a bad taste in my mouth from Bride of Chucky. And I had had some good things to say about the first one. And I was like, I want to remember those good things enough. Because honestly, I just wanted to be like, I won't even talk about this today. Because I was so over it. And I was like, I need to remind myself of what this movie was. And I even knocked this one down, the first one down a a little bit. Just because I was so chuckied out that even watching the first one again, I was like, I'm tired. Yeah. So the new one is coming out. I actually thought the first trailer that was released, I was like, ooh, like this looks interesting. Then they had another trailer where they gave away more of the plot. And I was like, oh, this looks dumb. The Chucky looks weird. He looks weird and he's voiced. The voice sounds weird. And it's not Brad Dorif. It's Mark Hamill, which is very strange. And I get it. They're going. Okay, so let's talk about the reboot. The, The creator, Don Mancini, is in no way connected with this reboot. He created the characters, but I forget who it is. But whatever the studio is, they're rebooting the first movie which they have the rights to but Don Mancini has been able to do these Chucky movies because he owns the rights to the characters 
And so he's doing his own thing with the character of Chucky. Um, like, for example, I forget what it is, MGM? Like, the studio um, couldn't do a Bride of Chucky reboot. They can only do Child's Play. Um, so he has nothing to do with it. So it seems like they really are taking it, like, back to the beginning of just, like, there's a killer doll. There's, like, something with Wi-Fi and apps. Oh, dear. Like, it looks like too like what you're saying Seth like way over explaining like yes. how he's evil but like yes it's like when they added like midichlorians to the Star yeah. Wars prequels to yeah. explain what the force is uh, I was actually looking forward to seeing it until I saw a second trailer and I was like oh, I like Aubrey Plaza and it makes me seem like well why would she sign up if it was terrible I don't know I hope that it's good like I hope it's good in a silly fun way but I have a feeling it may not be the only way I would see this movie is if I heard it was amazing for one thing <laughs> and I think it would take me at least a year to be able to even sit <laughs> in a room with another Chucky movie yeah. I mean, obviously, yeah. I know why they're doing it because, like, everything from the past is new again with, like, Stephen King coming back. Like, I get it. This franchise has fans. I don't understand oh, has, that. Again, like Hellraiser, Hellraiser has a, like, small cult of dedicated fans. And Child's Play, absolutely, like, it's the same. I think, like, the Venn diagram is kind of. It's just one circle. <laughs> I just, I guess I just don't it's, understand people that like the first three and also like the others. Like, it seems like they would be very separate because they're very different movies. I think it's just the love for that character. Guess so. Like, for Chucky. I wish you know? he had more layers to him. <laughs> what are you talking about? He's got blood and, and gross stuff inside. Like Misogynistic pe- remarks. Yeah, it's peeled off. Like yeah. things get peeled off of him and put in him, and he melts <laughs> all kinds of layers. <laughs> this made me think about horror comedy in general because I am such a big fan of the Scream movies, and I was trying to like figure out why. Why do I like that and not this? Especially like the you would definitely call Bride of Chucky horror comedy rather yeah. than straight horror or just pure shit, but. <laughs> Uh, and I think it's just yes, like and. that. Like once you tip the scale more in favor of comedy than horror, I completely lose interest. Well, that depends. Like something like Shaun of the Dead. Yes. It, it also just depends. Is it good? <laughs> Do you care about anybody? But I don't actually <laughs> even like Shaun of the Dead that much because it's okay. same thing. I mean, not the same thing, but it's like it's too silly for me. I don't find it in good taste to mix. People dying with, like, a really absurd tone. Usually. There's probably exceptions to that. Whereas, like, in the Scream movies and that particular wave of teen horror, they were mostly horror movies that were self-referential and had, like, amusing moments, but they still had the gravity of, like, dealing with death and, like, the characters believed or behaved somewhat realistically to people dying. Like, they would mourn them and, and be upset and be scared Versus like Bride of Chucky, where people are just cartoons. Mm-hmm. But I don't, I don't think Scream necessarily treats its kills any more seriously. I think it just and... does it more cleverly. Like again, it's like I think part of the reason why Scream, in particular, like has staying power, is that it's just clever and it references things too. 
in the in the nineties postmodernist way, but like it references them in an interesting, clever way that but is that tied to the murder scene, for example, with Drew Barrymore is very harrowing and you see her parents coming home and seeing her body and being like horrified by it. And then the next day at school everyone is talking about it. Like that's how people would behave if something like that happened. Like this is just like, what? Dead bodies, crazy. Like let's go on a road trip. Yeah. Like, there's a big difference, I think. I think that's right. I think there is more, like, a almost almost Caddyshack-like tone <laughs> to this movie yeah. and to this franchise. This mo- I mean, The Bride of Chucky and Seed of Chucky, they just remind me of, like, trauma movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, if you're not familiar, it's just, it, they're horror movies, but they're supposed to be funny, but they're not funny, and they're just gross. But yeah, this is- it's gore for gore's sake, but, like, in a... Like a very cavalier attitude toward yeah. death, where it's like you do, it's, it has no weight to it. Like people might as well be eating sandwiches for yeah. as much emotional depth as their deaths have. Right. Becky, does your mom like trauma films? I don't think she <laughs> ever saw any. That, really? Those weren't really like on TV in the eighties and nineties. Okay, you know okay. you you had to like really that and was like a cult thing. Okay, yeah. Because I like I don't know like that appreciation for schlock. That kind of reminded me of trauma films. So, like, she might like. It's interesting you brought it. No, (laughs) but I don't think she was. She's never really talked about. Yeah. Well, there are a lot of people who like gore. Like in our Halloween episode, we had Dan on, and he like appreciated like the Halloween sequels more than I think the original Mm -hmm. Halloween. And that's a mentality I don't understand (laughs) because. But there are people who are more into like the special effects of kills and creative kills, Mm -hmm. like in a gore way versus like to me I'm invested when it's like more emotional and I care more about like who's dying and and how it impacts people but some people some people like just dead dead things and some people are more into bush than gore (laughs) cut that out (laughs) well these movies have made money all of them have turned a profit 250 million dollars for seven movies but I'm just saying that at no point did any of them lose money there's there's an audience there i'm not that audience but there's an audience there and that's why the creator was like why are they rebooting this like i'm still making these movies he's making um he's developing a chucky tv series now so i cannot imagine yeah like really wanting to spend time with him every week i agree well i have some fondness for the first two like i i feel like uh, maybe check them out Maybe check them out. <laughs> chuck them out. Chuck them out. Chuck them out. I say chuck them out. Would you, would you, <laughs> are you going to tell people now that they should watch Child's Play 1 and 2? Why not? Like, <laughs> the first one I think is what streaming on Amazon it? Prime. It's not a movie that I would urge anyone to seek out for any <clears throat> reason. But if you do watch it, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and if you enjoy it enough, go ahead and watch the next one. <laughs> You have my permission. <laughs> and Not you, endorsement, but permission. And if you must, watch the third one. And then stop. For the love of God, stop. Do not watch anymore. Turn back. Turn back while you can. Well, we know how Seth feels about this, so I don't even have to ask. I feel like we all do. Yeah. So, uh, watch the Hellraiser movies. <laughs> See Toy Story 4. <laughs> Uh, do you want to do it on a on a special bonus Patreon? He's <laughs> just reading tagline. <laughs> wait, what were they? We 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 don't have what any tags. I'm just curious what they were. 
On our next episode, we will be celebrating the 4th of July with a heaping helping of American pie. The raunchy teen comedy from 1999 that is celebrating its 20th anniversary this summer. And we'll also talk about the teen dude virginity loss genre overall. Why was that a thing? Is it still a thing? (laughs) Teens trying to lose their virginity. (laughs) They don't do that anymore, right? (laughs) The When We Were Young podcast is a production of the MFP Studio Studio in Los Angeles, California. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or anywhere else you get your fine audiophonic product. You can follow us on all the major social media networks, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can and should check out our Patreon page at patreon.com slash when we were young. Your monthly contributions can help us review even more shows, movies, and albums. And in the coming months, we will be coming up And in the coming months, we will be creating exclusive content just for our Patreon subscribers. And that's all the incel we have time for on this episode of When We Were Young. I've been Seth. I like to be hugged. (laughs) (laughs) And hi, I'm Chucky. Wanna play? This is the end, friend. (laughs) Andy, no, please. We're friends to the end, remember? This is the end, friend.